Morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we're continuing in this, this vein. Paul's been answering this question. Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? How could you do that, he says. How could you, uh, who died to sin, still live in sin? And he's been answering that question theologically. Uh, he has been uh, laying out his position on this. And uh, today, he's going to actually ask us to do something. I've entitled this message, Finally, Something to Do. Do you know up to this point in the book of Romans, there has been one imperative. We have gotten through almost through six chapters, and there has not been a single command issued by Paul. There's one place in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, uh, where the question is posed, does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. That's not really telling us anything to do, but it is in the imperative. This is absolute. Let God be true. God's true no matter what. God's true whether you think he's true or not. But that's the only command or only imperative in six chapters. He has been laying out a theological position. Uh, he has been uh, very positional. Here's who we are as believers. He's been very illustrative of, to help us to understand what he's saying. But he's not given us a command until today. And now it's just going to, just he's going to give us four in just a few short verses. Four commands. And they relate to what he has been saying, and particularly what he says in verses 10 through 11. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. In other words, once and for all. There's no more dying to be done for sin. That's done. But the life he lives, he lives to God, and that's an example. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And a life to God in Christ Jesus. As we look at this, we see that he is helping us to know something. That the death that Christ died has an effect on us in terms of sin and the dominion of sin in us. And can, here's the question, can sin dominate us? As believers in Jesus Christ, can sin reign in our life? The answer is no. It cannot. I want to point to you of why it cannot reign. I want us to look at these four imperatives. Uh, we have one in verse 11. We have uh, one in verse 12. We have two in verse 13. 
So we have four imperatives. And then I want to share with you a promise. The first thing I want us to look at is I think Paul is reminding us and telling us, know who you are. Know who you are. In verse 12, he brings this truth to bear. Be who you are. You got to know who you are before you can be who you are. So know who you are and be who you are. Third, he calls us uh, to not be used, don't be used as an instrument for sin. All of these are commands, by the way, if you haven't noticed. And the last point will be give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. So let's look at this. First of all, Paul is saying, you know, uh, the death of Christ had an effect on your life. If you are in Christ, if you died with Christ, if you were crucified, your old self was crucified with him, uh, the body of sin has been brought to nothing. That's good news. I'm going to explain, hopefully, why that's good news. But I want us to see we are to know who we are. Look at what he says. I touched on this a little bit last time. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Where's the command? Consider yourselves. Let me give you another word. Think. I want you to think in a particular way. Consider who you are. And more than that, consider who I have made you. That's the point. God is saying, consider what and who I have made you. Thinking is the first command. We often don't think of that kind of command. Hey, you know what? You know what you have to do? Think. You know, maybe we get that. Uh, I think my kids probably heard that. You know what you didn't do? You didn't think. You know what you need to do? You need to think. Okay. Any, any parents ever give that one? You need to think. Okay. All right. I was the bully. All right. Never mind. But, I mean, seriously, you know, you, you don't think. We are commanded right here. Think. That is something that we as believers have to do consistently. More specifically, he is telling them not only to think, but he's telling them what to think. Don't just think about something, anything, something random, you know. But let me tell you what to think. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the command he's commanding, look, if you're going to, if this is going to work out in your life, and remember what I what, what we've what we've talked about. Uh, I, I want you to, to, to recall how we have to be something in order to do something, okay? The indicative precedes the imperative. That, that thought is still pervading this passage. And so uh, the indicative precedes the imperative. Uh, He's saying, he's not telling unbelievers, you need to think this way about yourself. 
That would be ludicrous. An unbeliever isn't going to think that way about themselves. Uh, They might think that way about themselves in the sense that, hey, I, I don't need God. You know, I'm fine the way that I am. But why is Paul telling us to think this way? One reason, I believe, is because Paul knows Christians struggle with sin. Any amens on that? Anybody say, okay, yeah, absolutely. Christians struggle with sin. All of us. I mean, you know me. So you're just kind of like, yeah, Rick, we know that about you. Y'all grinning and everything. Don't forget I know you too. All right? That's something true of every one of us as Christians. We struggle with sin. And Paul knows this. And so what he's saying is you need to think. You need to remember something. You need to think on something. That you have died to sin. Now, One thing he's not saying is he's not saying that Christians want to sin. He's saying that Christians struggle with sin. And indeed we do. So he's telling us you've got to have a mindset. You've got to think and know what God has done for you. And what he has made you. Paul knows when he says, you are dead to sin. I mean, think about that. Somebody's telling you, you're dead to sin. What's the first thing you may say? Yeah, I don't don't know. Maybe you ought to define what you mean by that, Paul. (laughs) Because if I'm going to take that at face value, I'm going to have to say, no, I'm not. You're probably going to say, it doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. Anybody feel that? It doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. It doesn't look like I'm dead to sin. Because I fail in so many ways in front of people. Know who you are. Now, this is not an exercise in positive thinking. All right? This is not some guy telling you that you should think positively about yourself, have positive thoughts. You know, you struggle because you don't think right about yourself. And so what you need to do is you need to, you need to uh, think positively about yourself. I mean, uh, you know, some people like old boy down there, in, uh, uh, down there in Houston, you know, he's got a big smile, looks like Josh. Poor Josh. Don't, don't even go there, okay? Don't even go to poor Josh, all right? I mean, he's a, he's a used car salesman, folks. He's selling you a bill of goods. 
The transmission has sawdust mixed in, so it won't sound so bad, but that's going to wear out quick, and it's not going to run. The grace of God does more than that. It empowers us to do what we can't do. And we're thinking about this. This isn't a positive thing. He's saying, this is what you are. It's not merely what you think you are. It is what you are. And it's what you are, not because you did something. It's what you are because God did it in you. God made you this. God made you dead to sin. You're not dead to sin because you don't sin. You're dead to sin because God said so. That's why. You're not thinking about who you are because of what you do. You're thinking about who you are because of grace. And that's it. <coughs> Excuse me. That's going to happen a couple of times. Remember the body of sin has been brought to nothing, it says. It's idle. It has no locomotion of its own. If you are in Christ Jesus. It cannot move into your life. You have to empower. By fulfilling desires. The power of the cross has rendered sin incapable of exercising authority or power or dominion over you. It has no power to do it. That's why you better think. I thought about doing my best Aretha Franklin on that, but I decided against it. You better think. And think right. All the millennials are going, who's Aretha Franklin? <clears throat> but you better think. And think rightly. And think, God has done this in me. God has said this about me. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. Isn't that great? Alive. You know what that implies? Once you were dead to God. You were dead toward Him. You had no affection for Him. Nothing. But you're dead to sin and alive to God. I like Romans 7. Some people don't like Romans 7. I like Romans 7. Verse 4, Paul says, Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. That we may bear fruit for God. 
We could not do that before. We had no unction to do it. We had no power to do it. We had no authority to do it. We had no means to do it. But now it says uh, that, that the purpose of this, in order that we may bear fruit for God, that we, that you may bear fruit for God. Know who you are. Know this is what God has called you to. Know these are what God has made you, dead to sin, alive to God, where we have a new life. Verse 6 on that, chapter 7, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're under grace. And we think in a new way. And we have new aims. And we have new means. Know who you are. That's what he wants us to know. And by the way, that's more than a suggestion. That's a command. Think right about what God has done. Secondly, Paul points to us being what you are. Be what you are. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign. Paul's not saying you should never sin again. That's not the command. Paul wouldn't be giving this command to not let sin reign if we don't face a struggle in not letting sin reign. It is a struggle, it is a fight. It is a battle. One that I hope gets easier. But he's given this command because we do struggle with sin. What's his point? Be who you are. Contrary to today's popular opinion, you can't be what you are not. You cannot be what you are not. It's impossible to be righteous apart from the grace of God. That is impossible. No one can be righteous. I don't care how good they do. They cannot be righteous. It would be unfair to command an unbeliever to be godly when they are captive to sin. Bound by sin, chained by sin, locked up behind the bars of sin. They can't get out. There's no possible way they can be righteous. They can't do it. Which is why Jesus Christ came. 
Because He is the righteous one. And He is the righteousness of the law. And He is our righteousness. Paul's saying to believers, you're no longer chained to sin. It does not hold you captive any longer. It doesn't have you. As a result, you do not have to obey sin. You don't have to obey the flesh. We have something else to obey. We didn't have something else to obey. Y'all realize that, right? There wasn't something else to obey before we came to know Christ. There was only sin to obey. We couldn't obey God. We wouldn't obey God. But you're no longer chained to sin. It no longer has that power. It's in idol. You got to drag it. Now here, just a week or so ago, we had to get rid of some chickens because they were dying, and we didn't know what they were dying of, and they were dying every day. And I said, oh, well, cut my losses. Because what I didn't want to do is eat a tainted chicken. I've eaten bad chicken before. That is no fun whatsoever. And I want you to know, we had our little chicken tractors out there, and I was going to grab hold of that chicken tractor, and I started pulling it. And I'm going to tell you, when, when, when you're just a little bit overweight like I am, what are you laughing about? <laughs> and you start pulling a chicken tractor uphill, you think to yourself, boy, I wish I would have put some wheels on this thing. And maybe just a little engine, you know. That thing had no power of its own. I had to drag it. And then I got smart. Wait a minute. I got an engine. And I went and got my four-wheeler, and I hooked the rope to the, to the trailer hitch, and I drug that thing. That was a lot easier. I could move that thing. I said, I got two of them. Okay, I'll just move both of them. You know, that's great. If sin is invading your life, it's because you have hitched it to your four-wheeler and you're dragging it around. Okay, if you don't have a four-wheeler, you're just dragging it around. You've invited it in. You're moving it. Because I can tell you God's not moving it to you. You're moving it. It's idle. You're not captive to it. But you will still choose it. Don't. Part of this verse is, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Paul is pointing to the realm of desire that we have. Desire that we long to be fulfilled. He's pointing to this, these passions that are in us that we have to learn to tame. Particularly how our desires, we need to see our desires change. Don't let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Because our desires are to change from sinful desires to godly desires. From unrighteousness to righteousness. Paul's pointing these things out. And he's not getting real technical or broad or detailed or anything like that. It is broad. It's not detailed. He's given a picture, but he's not given a list. He's saying this is what happens. We give power to sin. And it can quickly become our king. It can be royalty in our life. But instead, as believers, what's characteristic of believers is that we desire to live a life, uh, live a life away from sin. We no longer desire that. We, we desire instead to, uh, to, to pursue holiness. We want a life of godliness by the grace of God. We want to be new. We want to be transformed. We want to be purposeful. We want to be useful. These are all desires that we have. But they come under the particular umbrella of the grace of God. And He works these things in us. We, we want self to fall away and for God to be glorified in us as we live our lives. We want to be able to say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. Do you? There was a time we hated the law, right? We didn't like prohibitions before we knew Christ. And now aren't we thankful for the law that says, hey, this is, this doesn't please God? Thank you. Because I didn't know. Now I don't. Well, how I love your law. That's how our desires change, transform. And it's also how we transform. It's how we be who we are. Because he changes us. His divine nature comes to dwell in us. Oh, so the divine nature replaces the sin nature? No, it doesn't. Sin nature's still there. Powerless. Divine nature comes in. Powerful. Powerful divine nature. 
He gives us something to live by. He gives us something that is transformative. He gives us something that makes us new. He has given us the divine nature to live according to that. Sure, Josh will be dealing with some of that on Sunday nights. I was reading that psalm this morning, Psalm 119, 97 through 104. And in verse 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way. Do you? Do we do that? I'm going to tell you, the only way that that's even possible is the power of God in you and the Word of God instructing you. And those things shape your will. And as God shapes our will, we do. His will becomes our will. Oh, that's your will? It's my will too then. That's, that's what happens. Be who you are. Know who you are and be who you are. Don't be talking to yourself. And telling yourself what you're not. Well, I'm not like this, and I don't do this. Don't forget, it's God who has made you who you are, not you. Your works did not make you who you are. Your works will not keep you being who you are. But your transformation... By the power of God, you will become and be who you are. Paul goes on in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Don't be used as an instrument for sin. Don't be used as an instrument for sin. I'm going to dig into this a little bit, but not far. What does he mean, don't present? What is that word? It's a word that speaks of yield. It's a word that speaks of standing, to stand, all right? Uh, so, in other words, let's say this piano over here is sin. Jatan, whoever played this morning, it's, it's okay, all right? It's a good piano. But it's black, so it's a good illustration. Don't present your members, don't go stand up next to, Don't put yourself in the presence of sinfulness. Don't present your body to sin. This is talking about your physical body. 
Men, your eyes can be a portal for sin. Pornography, whether it's written, whether it's video, uh, whether it's on TV or the movie screen, whether it's on the internet, it can become a portal of sin. Men, you guard your eyes. You keep your eyes from those things. This is an example of what's being spoken of here. Your eyes being used for unrighteousness. Instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let the members of your body become a portal for sin. Don't get up next to it. Don't stand near it. Don't be what you are not. And that's one of the things that's going on there. Don't be what you are not. I didn't mark this one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Did y'all hear me? His delight, his desire, his longing is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does prospers notice what he doesn't do first he doesn't stand near it he doesn't go to it and then he falls in love with the word of God do not let your body Be present with, be yielded to sin. Eyes can be a gate of adultery. Lips can be the gate of the abuse of alcohol. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, you need to guard yourself in this way. Women, I'm not leaving you out. I know your feelings were about to be hurt. Well, he's just going to talk to the men. He's not going to talk to us women. (laughs) Women, the eyes can be a gate for jealousy and envy. When we look around, we see someone who has things we don't have or things we really desire to have. Someone who has friends that we don't have And we really desire to have those friends. Someone who has status that we don't have. Someone who has acceptance in relationships that we don't have. And we really desire them. Jealousy can come in through the eye. 
or perhaps the besetting sin for you is money or pride. Don't be used as an instrument. Ladies, don't present yourself to unrighteousness. Don't walk over to it. Don't stand near it. Last thing. Still in verse 13. But present yourselves to God. <laughs> Same word. Draw near to Him. Isn't that what it says in Scripture? If you draw near to Him, what does He do? Oh, he draws near to you. I, I want you to know, here's the great thing about that. that. That verse, draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Y'all know what the drawing near is? It's not all those steps. It's this. Boom, there he is. He's right there. You don't, have to, you don't have to take all those steps. I mean, it was only like three steps, okay? But when you turn to him, I want you to know he's there. You're not having to go look for him. He's there. He's always there. And so he, he, says, he says, present yourselves to God. As those who have been bought, brought from death to life. I mean, there's a simile there. Anybody know anybody who is dead and now they're alive besides Jesus? I don't. All right? Now, they might have stopped breathing or something like that, but I don't think they were counted as dead in the sense that they could not be resuscitated. But I want you to know this. There is a rejoicing going on here. As those, be as those who've been brought from death to life. We've been brought from death to life. Y'all realize that, right? I mean, I try to always remind people, you know. They tell me, well, I, you know, I wasn't that bad of a person. Well, you were worse than you thought, but I know what you mean, okay? I, I understand what you're talking about when you say that. But you were dead and God made you alive. That's massive. That's big. And I want to tell you, we come to him, present yourselves as those who have been made alive in Christ. So there's a sense of the attitude in which we come, but also there's the sense in which he made me alive, I'm going to him. He made me alive, I'm not going over there to what was dead, I'm going to what lives. That's what's going on here. I, I don't want sin anymore. Present yourselves to God and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Take my life. Lead me, Lord. The song says.
Take me. Do what you want with me. In chapter 12, we find Paul, I believe, is picking up on the thoughts that we're seeing here. And he's picking up on those thoughts when he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What are we presenting to God? Our body. All of me. Every bit of me. Everything. Here are my eyes. Here are my hands. Here's my mouth. Here's everything. We don't offer up God a portion of ourselves. Jesus didn't offer a portion of himself on the cross. He offered all of himself. He doesn't say, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny a part of himself. Give me a little bit of it. No, that's not what he's saying. Die to yourself. That's the only way you can live to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. i got to wrap this up. Last thing is this. Give yourself to God. I just said that. But I want to point to the promise. Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin will will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. You look at that and you say, well, that's future tense. So that's talking about one day. It is future tense, but I want you to know the emphasis of that. There's not a command there. Do y'all know what this is? A promise. That's how you ought to read that. You ought to read this as a promise. If you've been crucified with Christ and you have been raised with Christ, hear my promise, the Lord says. Sin will have no dominion over you. It will not reign in you. It will not be king of you. It will not do it. So very much there's the real sense in Paul saying, don't let this happen. And how we can drift toward that direction. And God's saying of the true believer, it won't happen. My grace is sufficient. My grace is powerful. And sin has no power over you. Do not give it power.
I love that promise. It's not going to have dominion over you. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Believed him and who he is and what he has done for you? Have you turned away from your sin and turned to him alone for forgiveness? I want you to know none of this is true for those of you who have not. But what is true is is this. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Confess Him. Believe Him. Follow Him. And this promise becomes yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for something to do that transforms, that changes, that renews, that is fruitful, that causes us to flourish. And as believers, that's what we want to do. So Lord, I pray that you would help us in yielding to you and not yielding to unrighteousness. But Lord, let these bodies be used for your glory and your praise. And let us give everything for the sake of Jesus Christ and your kingdom. In his name we pray, amen.